Maryland White House correspondent John Decker joining us on the uh, morning show here. And, John, good morning. Good morning to you. Hope you're doing well today. Yeah. A lot going on. Nevada, South Carolina, border bill, you name it. Take it away, John. Well, let's talk about the border bill first and foremost. It faces defeat uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, yesterday, last night, Republican senators met privately. And afterward, Senator James Lankford, uh, he's the top Republican involved in these border uh, security legislation talks. He said he did not expect the bill to overcome the planned procedural vote, which takes place tomorrow due to Republican opposition. Uh, and he said, look, he's not willing to do a funeral on it just yet. Still some work to do, but it doesn't look good in terms of its survival, even coming out of the U.S. Senate. Yeah, and of course, it's going to take that to ever make its way to the president's desk. And, you know, this is ripe for an election year. The only sad thing is I'm in favor of anything that saves lives today or reduces humanitarian crisis. But this one's going to the this one's going to the ballot box, it feels like, in 2024 for the presidential race, both sides. Well, that's right. You know, Mitt Romney, uh, who was in favor of these bipartisan talks, had said that Republicans want to essentially save the issue rather than solve the issue. And it goes to your point right now. Do you want to do something on this issue right now? Save it for the next president. Uh, and that means that if you save it for the next president, the issue remains unresolved until January of next year. That's an awful lot of time. That's almost a full year before you're confronting the issue. Uh, should there be no movement, no uh, bipartisanship, no compromise on this particular issue? Yeah, I mean, something was better than nothing, but at the same time, in all fairness, and I'll let you go on this thought, John, because uh, I'm not a U.S. senator, and I'm not trying to, you know, I, I'll weigh in on this, but this bill wasn't going to solve the border crisis, but you could argue it might do something. Uh, I'd also add aid in there for Ukraine and Israel, uh, but at the same time, for example, these fentanyl deaths, there's no question that the administration or powers to be could crack down on the two cartels the DEA has publicly identified in Mexico, and we could do more to secure the border, regardless of politics in Washington, but it just doesn't seem to happen. Well, look, you know, I, I know that yesterday you had the uh, union that represents the border patrol agents that are on the front lines at the U.S.-Mexico border endorsed this legislation. I'm making the point that you just made. It's, it's movement in the right direction. It doesn't solve everything. It's not a perfect bill, uh, but it would certainly lead to fewer migrants entering into the U.S., We'll see if uh, members of Congress are swayed uh, by that endorsement coming from that very conservative union that represents Border right. Patrol agents, or uh, if indeed they listen uh, to others within the Republican Party, including former President Donald Trump, in opposing this legislation. John Decker, White House, our White House correspondent. Thank you, John. Make it a great Tuesday. You too. Thanks, Jack. Mike Dennehy, he's probably, uh, he's probably out riding his horse. He's in equestrian now. <laughs> Uh, Mike Dennehy, Dennehy Boy Group, one of our political analysts and all-stars. Good morning, sir, Michael. Good morning, Jack. How are you, sir? Good. Have you been dubbed sir yet? Has any governor, like, tapped you on the shoulder with a sword yet or no? No, sir, not yet. Not as of yet. I'm still waiting for Jack Heath to become governor to get that hat. All right. So, okay, let's look at this thing nationally because things are quiet here, at least in front of the scenes, not behind the scenes. We're going to get an update at the State House on some bills with Anna Brown, or you can maybe update. But on the national kind of – break down how this Nevada thing is going to play, the primary, the caucus, Trump, Haley, and then, of course, I think the big test is going to be, what, 18 days from today in South Carolina, Republican right. primary. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, the Nevada thing is, is super interesting. There's not a lot of attention being paid to it because uh, the Nevada Republican Party was not happy with the state of Nevada and decided to have <clears throat> their own Republican caucus, which will uh, will that's the that's the vehicle that will award the national convention delegates. So uh, the state is having a primary, which is a beauty contest only, has no impact at all on the Republican National Convention and awarding of the delegates. That happens at the caucus. Haley's in the primary. Trump's in the caucus. Trump will get 100% of the delegates and 100%, uh, 100% of the caucus, 100% of the delegates. So, yeah. um, uh, so the, the, net, the net is he gets the marbles coming out of Nevada. That's right. That's right. Yep. And who knows? I mean, uh, I don't know how Haley will try and spin it. Uh, I expect she'll try and spin it positively because she'll get, uh, you know, pro- she'll, she'll win the primary. Obviously, Trump's not on the primary ballot. Right. So um, she'll try and split the baby there, but it's not going to work. Uh, well, I was looking at Michael Dennehy, Dennehy Belay Group. I was looking at the uh, South Carolina picture, and as of yesterday, I don't know what mm. it changed, but the average, the melding of all the polls Trump 63, Haley 32. She said after New Hampshire and has been saying she doesn't have to win, but she wants to do better, a better showing yep. than New Hampshire. So my UVM math tells me she has to come up 12 to 15 <laughs> in her own state. Yeah. It feels like if Trump comes down to 59, 60, it feels like it's that maybe 60, 40, which means she wouldn't be above the 43% she got in New Hampshire. But my point is her donors seem... Regardless of how she does in her own state, they they kind of want she's raising money to keep her in there as to be the only alternative to Trump as the likely nominee. Yeah, it's re- this is another fascinating thing, Jack, because, you know, I don't know if you saw the Washington Post, Monmouth University, Monmouth's pretty real, well respected in their polling. They came out with their survey in South, uh, the South Carolina survey. It, it, it's really it's terribly bad news for Haley. Trump's image actually increased since last September. He went from 60 favorable to 68 favorable, and Haley's image went down from 59 to 45. So she's barely above water. But but more than that, Jack, in South Carolina, in her home state, if, if they asked if, if you were the nominee, if Donald Trump were the nominee, 70% would be enthusiastic or satisfied. Only 54% would be enthusiastic or satisfied. In fact, they actually believe she would do worse against Biden than Trump would. So she has no numbers. Move, and that's because, and let's face it, it's no different than New Hampshire Republicans. Mm-hmm. She's moving in the wrong direction. She needs independence, and she's not going to have enough independence to make a difference. And the question is, does she want to get slaughtered in her own home state and have that be the legacy of her campaign for president? I can't yeah. believe she would. But yeah. maybe she does. If the, if the polls are barking this loudly, because it seems also, Michael, and the Republicans in New Hampshire ran into this, and Chris Christie kind of was the uh, yeah. epitomized this, yeah. is the ones, if, if she's been increasing her punching at Trump since New Hampshire, you know, getting tougher on her events, going after him more, it seems to be costing her in that Republican primary right. base in her own state. And you saw that here. Chris Christie led the way, saying, look, I'm the only one who can punch and go after Trump. And and he went down the harder he hit Trump in terms of Republican support in New Hampshire. And, and you know, I think part of that, too, Jack, is because of the way she's attacking Trump. Now she's attacking him on his age. She has a new 30-second ad out that's focused almost entirely on his age. And, you know... Say what you want. No one's going to believe. First of all, it's a it's 
it, it's like they're attacking the she's attacking Democrats. I mean, that's what the Republicans are saying about Biden. So Republicans are not going to attack Trump for the same thing. Not to mention, it's just not it, it, it doesn't pass the smell test. Yeah. People don't believe that he's that his age is a problem. Yeah, it's funny because if you look at the president and all the respect in Trump, it seems like Biden is 20 years physically and mentally older than Trump. And yet there's only, what, four years. Um, That's right. Michael, switching gears to the state house, if we may. Yeah. Um, it seems, uh, well, two things. Are there any big, big bills or issues? Is it sort of mirroring the national 2024 election, some of these issues in New Hampshire under the dome? And also, I'm hearing, but I don't know if it's true, some decorum issues. I mean, sometimes people are called yeah. to testify in these hearings, and some lawmakers they don't like the person they get political and and you know according to some like michael graham not i'm not saying you know graham has reported on this new hampshire journal they fall out of the hallway and are yelling at the person because they don't agree with their politics yeah I'll t- is that is that is that overstated or is that what's the deal no i don't think it's overstated first uh i do uh this is a, this is an off-budget year as you know so typically the, the there are less uh, critically important uh, legislative issues to deal with. So it's more, uh, they're, they're more education, uh, uh, parental involvement, uh, and, and some of the social issues are coming up. So those, so those are the issues in legislation that is taking center stage right now. Um, when it comes to decorum, Jack, I, I, this is the way government is headed, and it's a sad testament to our political environment these right. days, right. D- decorum is a problem. It, yep. There's just no way around it. I mean, when you have the Senate president having to pull in state senators from both parties saying this is unacceptable, it's a problem. Yeah. And 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 uh, Speaker Jasper isn't able to do that with his 400 reps because there's just too much going on. So, yeah. uh, uh, congratulations to Jeb Bradley for being able to. Uh, to bring some civility, hopefully, well, it's easier, to the state senate. But it's easier with twenty-four than what, how many? Yeah, four hundred. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen. You may not have the crystal ball, but I like jumping ahead a little bit. I'll, I'll leave. I'll let you go on this one. So, Mike, Michael Dennehy, if you had to go out to November twenty twenty-four, and it's Trump and Biden again, and let's just say they're running neck and neck in national polls. Let's say the economy's doing a little better than people thought, but New Hampshire's economy is not an issue. Let's say the uh, Fed has lowered the rates a little bit, so the economy, let's say the southern border is still a hot issue. Let's say things yeah. are pretty much as they are today. Yep. You've heard, you've heard Governor Sununu say that if Trump's the nominee, New Hampshire will lose the state house. they'll lose everything. Do, do you have a sense yet in the governor's race here? Because you get two big Republicans, two big Democrats, Joyce Craig, Warming, Cindy Warmington, uh, Kelly A. Uh, Chuck Morris. Do you have a sense... Um, going into the general election here after four terms of Governor Sununu, two-year terms. And, of course, Democrats in modern history have done well at the State House with Governor, yeah. and they get some yeah. big names running. Do you have a sense on um, if, 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 if one of those two Republicans or one of the two Democrats, if someone has an advantage or not, or, or do you think it's going to be a close race or not for Governor? I, I do think it'll be a close race. Uh, I think there's a huge wild card here that is only starting to get some attention, and that's RFK Jr., now that he is, he hasn't been officially validated, but he has said he has the, enough signatures to be on the ballot in New Hampshire and several other states around the country. And if people, uh, voters are truly upset with the with Trump and Biden, then he could, Jack, if he gets 10 percent, he gets 5 percent, frankly, 
five to six percent. I mean, Trump lost New Hampshire by seven points. So five to six percent is huge. It will have a giant impact on the presidential race. And you just don't know what kind of impact that will have on the governor's race. Interesting. Yeah. Great stuff, Michael. Make it a great Tuesday. Thank you, Jack. Always a pleasure. Doug Tangden, Worldwide Market Perspective on the Economic Front. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Jack. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. All right. All right. Yeah, we had good economic numbers uh, on Friday. It was the employment report, and it really was a blowout employment report. And then we had Powell over the weekend saying uh, we're not likely to cut rates in March. That was the, that was the net of what he had to say. Correct. No big surprise. Maybe June they'll start nope. lowering them. Yeah, I think maybe even May. It, it will. He said we want more data, not better data, but more data. You know, the last six months, inflation has been running at a 2% annual rate. So it, it, they've been getting everything that they want. But the, uh, the, the, the Fed as a body is saying, yeah, not yet. Not yet for cutting. It, cutting is happening. It's going to happen, just not yet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, do you do you really feel that inflation and what I'm saying in, you know, the core inflation that consumers feel because uh, we've had to pay higher interest rates if you borrow any money or buy a car or buy a home. But if when you go to the grocery store, the most fundamental things and right now we're not sure about the Middle East because if things get worse with Tehran and we try to choke off some of the oil it could raise prices here you know, going into the spring. But my point is, do you really feel like basically eggs, milk, chicken, groceries, the core inflation that's been, you know, so painful for so many families, especially fixed income, will start, uh, you know, will really start to be felt as coming down? I don't think they're coming down. They will pretty much stay where they are. I mean, eggs and milk, maybe they'll come down a bit. But but the labor component, the, the things like, you know, haircuts and, and uh bank fees and insurance fees and all those things, those are going to stay where they are. But sure, commodities can come back down. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of inputs into that. But the stuff that depends on labor prices, uh, they're staying where they are. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts that you are checking out on your spectrum? Well, I'm just looking forward to the, uh, to the boost to the Upper Valley economy this weekend from the Dartmouth Carnival. Uh, I, I'm, I am uh, rather proud to say that, that that the big green um crushed uvm by i think 10 points at the uvm carnival last weekend so we're we're looking forward to that i i, I kind of remember the dartmouth winter carnival in my uvm days so it's kind of a vague memory though doug <laughs> a little hazy oh wait from from uh from other activities jack yeah, I tell you though, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, going to the, the UVMs or the Dartmouths and the, the you know back then. I don't know about today. All right, thank you. All right, Jack, you have a great week. One Alicia Presses Anthopolis, APX Seacoast Online, the written and the spoken word. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay, but I think the real question is, how are you? I'm fantastic. Are you? Oh, sure. Driving to Concord to watch people's business. You know another day all right well what's catching your eye national local what, what's going on in the state house we've had uh, mike dennehy on and uh we had michael graham uh, yesterday new hampshire journal talking about some of these hearings where people go to testify you've probably done this yourself not a, maybe not a lot but sometimes i guess senator bradley had to call in the troops kind of the decorum issues the lack of civility at the new hampshire state house uh with certain lawmakers that are upset with people who testify, if you don't agree with their politics, they, they, the yelling escalates. Um, so what's going on at the Statehouse? 
mean, I've testified a few times, you know, this month since the session began, and I have not witnessed that. Um, and I certainly hope that's not the norm. There's always been a respect and a decorum in the New Hampshire State House and both the Senate and the House for people who are particularly, you know, regular citizens who are there to testify on behalf of something they believe in. Um, that's always been the custom, and I hope that that continues. I haven't seen otherwise, but I believe as they have. All right. What's... Uh... What's your take on um, it? Just it just feels like it's Biden and Trump again. Um, how does that play here in New Hampshire come this fall in races like the governor's race? Well, I mean, I'm not sure as a Republican it's helpful to our side. And what I mean by that is um, Donald Trump and his candidates have not been successful in New Hampshire. Um, Donald Trump never won here. His supported candidates haven't won here in general elections, and. So that concerns me. That being said, the New Hampshire voting electorate are very attuned. We've seen, you know, this is why we have a Republican governor, a Republican Senate, a mostly a Republican House, and yet a federal delegation that's all Democrats. Our voters are very attuned to things, and they vote less on party and more on the individual um, and their policy principles. So we split tickets in New Hampshire all the time. I'm not sure how much of a down ticket effect it will have on state races. Sometimes it can affect the federal ones. Yeah. All right. Well, what's what are you going to the state? What's catching your eye? We Anna Brown's coming up. What are the big bills? Any contentious bills going on? Not for me today. I just got some technical ones. Look, you know, we still got. And full disclosure, I do represent someone in this space. But the cannabis legalization bills are, um, you know, there are a lot of work up there. Lawmakers are working really hard. There's a lot of aspects to it, and a lot of stakeholders involved. And from my perspective, I think this is the year to pass it. Anyone who wants to use cannabis in New Hampshire is using it. They're just giving tax dollars to another state surrounding us, or they're buying on the black market, which is dangerous. So I think that's a, you know, a pretty significant bill working through the state house this year. will probably bring us all the way to June, but um, I'm optimistic from a business and tax structure standpoint that something can get done this year. All right, we'll let you focus on driving so I don't get, you know, you don't get mad at me for distracted driving because you don't need me to be distracted. I'm hands-free, just so that everyone listening knows. All right, Aaron Rial, we've seen his radio national correspondent on a Tuesday. Good morning, Aaron. Hi, Aaron here. How yep, are I was, you? I was just holding the plane at the gate here knowing you were going to make the flight, so I was just stalling, telling, talking to the passengers. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad I'm here now because one of the things we need to talk about today is work-life balance and and stalling and making up for those little moments. But what we're seeing, Jack, this is fascinating. We look at the data, more people are deciding that there are too many obstacles to integrating children into their lives, inflexible jobs, soaring daycare costs. They find that, you know, it's just too hard and birth rates have fallen since 2012. By 20% here in the U.S., that is a precipitous drop in a relatively short period of time. 35% of women 25 to 44 have never given birth. That is double the number in 1976. And the reality is it hasn't gotten easier to pay rent, health care, tuition, any of it in the past 30 years. And now we're beginning to see the numbers follow the reality in which we live. You know, I don't mean to say this as you're on the younger side with the family, but Aaron, I, I talked earlier about our university system here is seeing declining enrollments projected for years to come. So they're making cuts. That's at a college level, but that's 18 years old on, you know, average, uh, you know, college student. But I look back to when our kids went through the university system and the cost and uh, everything, even though, you know, you, you made less per se, but everything costs less. And I, I just can't even fathom. I can't even comprehend the cost of raising a kid today, whether it be clothing 
whether it be, um, you know, your health insurance will be higher, daycare cost, transportation cost. Eventually, when they do go to college, I mean, the cost for for people who live alone has gone up, let alone families. It's hard to comprehend grocery store bills, you know, quadrupling if you have three or four people versus one or two in the house. So expensive proposition, no doubt. Nothing, nothing is getting cheaper, it seems to me. No, not at all. And listen, there's a lot of social honor in pursuing a prestigious career. And while there are, is a lot of joy in parenting, and it is profound, it's quite private. And right. we as Americans, we you know, extort to our children, do what you love, love what you do, and that's all good and well, but it doesn't include, and have kids and be a great parent. Yep. All right, Aaron Real, Missy News Radio National Correspondent. Thank you, Aaron. All right, I know Anna Brown has a tight out this morning with a meeting coming up, Citizens Count. We've had a few reports already this morning on stuff at the Statehouse, citizenscount.org, wonderful nonpartisan, bipartisan resource. Take it away, Anna. Sure. So it is certainly a busy and spicy week in the House. So today there are several public hearings that are related to parental rights, gender, discrimination in public schools. So, for example, one bill, HB 1356, has a public hearing that would prohibit school employees or contractors from using students' preferred names or pronouns without permission from the parents. On the Senate side, SB 524 limits sports to gender biology at birth, so that would definitely prohibit trans women from participating on female sports teams K through 12. So across the board in schools, regardless of age, I'm definitely expecting a lot of debate and and heartfelt testimony from both sides. I think it's going to be a very intense sort of day at the legislative office building and the state house, but also some other bills that are not as hot button issues that I think are very interesting. HB 1596 requires political advertisements to disclose if they are using Photoshop or artificial intelligence to create fake media. HB 1244, this is a relatively short bill compared to a lot out there. It would prohibit smoking and e-cigarette use in motor vehicles when a passenger is under the age of 16. Every now and then I see that sort of come up as a concept in New Hampshire. It has yet to catch on, but certainly as time goes by, I think that there's a lot more awareness of vaping in particular as harmful to minors. And then, of course, tomorrow we have a public hearing on a bill that would allow medical aid in dying, sometimes called physician-assisted suicide by opponents. That's another one that I expect to be very emotional, kind of tense for, for you know, both sides at times. And um, so that is happening 2-7 in the House. And then, of course, we have a voting day. Voting day on Thursday, and there's going to be a lot of bills related to education freedom accounts, which are a voucher-like program that allows students to take the per-pupil amount of school funding from the state and spend it on private or homeschool expenses. Lots of different proposals this year to expand that or to add more oversight to the program. We are certainly in full swing at the State House. And Anna Brown, a lot of these issues here at home seem to echo a national debate, which gets emotional on a lot of these subjects. Absolutely. I, you know, and I will say, just because these subjects get very emotional and very personal doesn't mean that they have to get vitriolic. But sometimes we do see that happen. I mean, we did even see it happen in the state house this, house this week that um, it was a bill related to rent stabilization and, and whether, you know, what locals 
towns and cities can implement in terms of limiting rent increases. One representative ended up shouting in a hall after that public hearing. So I would say that those high emotions on these issues do not, um, it's, it's not limited to those controversial issues. And I think it's definitely symptomatic of the political climate that we are in right now, where I think both sides on different issues see their opponents as sort of this like existential threat. I do also have to say it's it's a little interesting because we are seeing these problems with civility and with the ability to talk to each other, have any sort of, of trust or faith in the other side. At the same time, yesterday, there was a public hearing on a bill that would ban social and emotional learning in schools. And they were talking about students' ability to manage their emotions and handle their anger. And it, there was a certain level of, you know, irony or coincidence or something going on there. When you look at um, sometimes I think adults in these situations, too, we can also benefit from learning how to moderate through our conflicts. Yeah, good point. Good point. Anna Brown, I'm going to let you get to your meeting. Anna Brown, Citizens Count, CitizensCount.org, regular, regular contributor. Thank you, Anna. Thanks, Jack. Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio National Correspondent, joining us. Good morning, Rory. Hey, Jack. Good morning. All right, take it away. What do you have for us? Well, the breaking news about the ruling by that appellate court in Washington about the request by the Trump defense team that he should enjoy immunity or protections uh, because of the comments he made while in office. But that ju- that uh, appellate court ruled against the Trump legal team. Now things will shift to the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll see if they even want to take up this case about presidential immunity. If they don't, that means things could move forward perhaps later this spring. It's already delayed the start of this trial, which was set to begin March 4th. And don't forget, the Supreme Court uh, is also taking up the Colorado case this week with arguments being heard about whether or not the, the former president's name can even be on the ballot in some states. Yeah, you know, Roy, I'm wondering if a fun side story would be, I wonder how many lawyers are working both sides of the fence and all the Trump-related stuff. I mean, it's got to be, what, it's got to be in the hundreds? Well, we know the president spent $50 million bucks on his legal defense, right? Um, wow. So, yeah, I mean, there's, this is, it's, wow. it's a good line of work to be in. <laughs> thank you rory o'neill nbc news radio national correspondent thank you rory michael graham new hampshire journal he's always revved up we a couple guests this morning we're talking indirectly or directly about the stories you've done on decorum or lack of decorum at some hearings of the state house take it away michael we've just been covering the fact that uh several, there's an ongoing review now of the actions of several democrats particularly representative david Renault of hopkinton representative ellen reed of newmarket for their treatment of witnesses and more members of the House are coming up and uh, talking to NH Journal about it. So watch for a follow-up story very soon. Meanwhile, I just got out of a press conference with Attorney General uh, Formella about those uh, deep fake AI phone calls, Jack, you may remember, from the first Nation primary, a voice sounding like uh, Joe Biden. Uh, As we reported at the time, though other outlets had different reporting, it was an attempt to stop Democrats from voting for Nikki Haley. It was not an attempt by Republicans to stop Democrats from voting for Joe Biden. And uh, the AG was declined to speak on the motive, but when you hear the call, it's pretty clear what's going on. They traced it back to a couple of companies in Texas, and the investigation continues. But, Jack, I got a chance to ask the Attorney General about the illegal mailers that the Democratic mail shop in Massachusetts sent when Bob Burns was running against George Hansel and Lily Tang Williams in the second CD last cycle. Remember that? And you had the Democrats around the country spending about $40 million helping MAGA candidates win primaries so that they would then go on and lose the general. 
Well, the mailers were illegal on their face. The attorney general and the FEC both had complaints. It's been 16 months. No one has taken any action. The mail shop is still operating. They are represented by Hillary Clinton's old attorney, Mark Elias. And the attorney general would simply say the case is ongoing. But, Jack, there are Republicans who are very worried, particularly with the competitive governor's race, that you could have a situation where the Democratic Governors Association decides that one of the candidates is their preferred candidate. Maybe another MAGA candidate gets in the race. And then they spend a couple million dollars on mailing and TV ads uh, promoting the weaker candidate. And if they can do this without if they can send illegal mail without penalty, as they did, as the Democrats did uh, in 2022, then why wouldn't they? And so the lack of action from Attorney General Pomela has some Republicans in New Hampshire very concerned about the, the Democrats are going to interfere anyway. It's part of their strategy. But they're concerned that the interference could be even worse if you can break the law and get away with it. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Michael Graham, New Hampshire Journal. Real quickly, <clears throat> you've done sure. some stories on this starting the other day with Gene Shaheen echoing support for this border bill, the congressional delegation, Representative Pappas and others. Um, if you, Governor Sununu is going to be on with us live tomorrow morning since his time this weekend uh, in Texas uh, with Governor Abbott and other Republican governors viewing the crisis at the southern border. Right. If you have you had a chance to talk with him yet, uh, we will tomorrow on, you know, if he had a vote on this bill, does he think it's a good or bad bill, this border bill? I because... have not spoken to Governor Sununu about that. We got a statement about yeah. the uh, actions down at the border and about the reason why he's supporting uh, Governor Greg Abbott. But uh, in New Hampshire, it's really interesting. M- Maura Healy, the governor of Massachusetts, has endorsed this bill. Yeah. She has also endorsed Joyce Craig. She has also endorsed sanctuary city policies. She's also endorsed seizing community buildings and putting illegal immigrants in them in uh, African-American communities like Roxbury. So we've been asking whether Joyce Craig also supports the bill, supports these measures, supports sanctuary cities. And the answer is no comment. So that's where we are in that. Has Governor Healy, have anyone been to ask her if she has a comment on that Dorchester district judge who let the... Uh, serial rapist from Haiti go after raping that woman in December and without bail. Has she commented on that? She continues to support sanctuary cities based on the pub, you know, uh, the reporting that other uh, outlets have done. Yeah. That's what we've seen. Yeah. But yeah. you've got this is really interesting to me. Cindy Warmington and uh, Joyce Craig are both no comment on this bill. And now that it's going to die, maybe that's a smart move. But if they think that the immigration issue is going to go away for governors, because people think of immigration, they think of the, of the, you know, yeah. the border. They think of Congress. Right. You know, we right. actually all, Jack, don't forget, we have one of the few members of the Homeland Security Committee in the Senate here in New Hampshire, Senator Hassan. She sits right in the committee. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't take any action. But she's there. Uh, but it's not going to be a federal you, issue only because of the spread of these migrants around the country, because you, of the uh, concerns and impacts on health care, education, et cetera. Governor... Candidates for governor are going to have to answer these questions eventually, either to the voters right. or uh, to the press. One of the two. Do, you, do you think any of the people you just mentioned, including the president or Governor Healy or any of these people, governors, senators, have any idea within ten or twenty thousand to be, you know, given fairness, how many illegal migrant criminals ICE arrested last year with violent criminal histories in the United States of America, including gang members, rapists, serial killers? 
kidnappers and terrorists. Do they? Do you think any of them know the rough number that ICE reported that they arrested to deport? I don't know what they know. I do know that they currently support a policy that allows the population of New Hampshire to illegally cross the border about every ten months. Yeah. So you know that's I do know that and and. Yeah. Uh, and one thing, you know, this bill is it has a lot of elements in it that are interesting. But I think the fundamental problem, Jack, is nobody trusts that whatever the enforcement mechanism is, that the Biden administration in particular will use it. They just don't believe you. You yeah. can say, oh, you can't you know, right. show up. You can't, uh, you know, you, you have tough, you'll have tougher asylum requirements. Well, maybe you will on paper. But with President Biden in charge, who honestly believes they're going to be turning people away? All right, Michael Graham and HJournal.com. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Good morning, New Hampshire, powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. Okay, well, to get a live check-in from the nation's capital, he has a front-row seat of all the action, including the politics behind the scenes in the Senate on these $118 billion border bill. Matthew Bartwood, Darby Field Advisors. Good morning, sir. Hey, Jack, Good morning. And what a time to be down here in D.C., Sin City. Uh, we got a lot going on here. Like you said, we got a, a border bill that, um, you know, looks dead on arrival in the House, and, and now it seems even dead in the Senate, at least from the Republican side. Um, just a huge, huge um, uh, uh, revolt, and, and even um, Mitch McConnell's in on this now and pumping the brakes. We also are about to impeach um, Mayorkas, which is um, rather stunning. I think this is the first time since, yeah. like, the 1800s. Um, it's unclear if that's even going to go forward. Um, I think the Constitution said you can't impeach somebody because you don't like their policies, uh, but we're going to have that happen. Um, and then you got Ukraine, you got Israel. Um, you know, it's very weird uh, time to be down here. And um, if if anybody's frustrated about this stuff, I think the good news is nothing's going to happen. <laughs> Excuse me, Matthew. If you could map out the politics of this border bill, because I think the economy continues to be not as bad as we think in 2024 going into the election in November, that the border might be one of the top issues. Uh, can you kind of talk about the finger pointing and the politics behind this border bill? I mean, it's, it's a weird one, right? I mean, we, we've been doing this since, gosh, uh, you know, when I was growing up, Pat Buchanan, I remember talking about the border. George W. Bush, I remember right. in, in 06, 07, you know, he said, I'll see you in the Rose Garden. He was going to have a bill. Um, President Trump came into office, had a majority in the House and the Senate, um, and yet we're still talking about this. I think the notion is nothing's going to happen right now. Um, this this bill, you know, uh, as, as previous people have talked about, maybe it was Dennehy, um, you know, is started by, you know, um, a, a very conservative senator out of um, Oklahoma, endorsed by the Border Patrol, um, is certainly going to be better. But, but there's a notion of, like, wait a second, 5,000 people are going to come across before you call it an emergency. Right. Um, there's just no dice here. There's no trust. Michael Graham said it best. There's absolutely no trust. Um, so, yeah, nothing's going to happen in the House or in the Senate here. Um, it's also very weird that, you know, Senate Republicans worked with Mayorkas to craft this and tried to make this a better situation. And House Republicans today are going to impeach <laughs> Mayorkas. Um, yeah. Topsy-turvy, nothing makes sense. Election year, um, we'll be lucky if they keep the lights on in March. Um, but, yeah, the good news is if, uh, if you're not liking something right now, um, it's probably not going to happen. 
Matthew, what, what about is it's all Biden and Trump. We know what's happening or, you know, many people. I don't know how big Nevada is going to play. I think Trump will get the delegates out. But South Carolina is the next big test. But it's Biden Trump again. It looks like is anyone talking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Joe Manchin, Chris Christie doing something in the independent on the uh, on the independent rail down there in D.C.? Is anyone buzzing about this or is it highly unlikely? Yeah. No, no, no. That is absolutely the buzz right now. Yes. We are looking at a rematch, um, you know, of a 2020 race. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in 2016, let's just be clear, Donald Trump legitimately won the president by winning something like, you know, 48 percent, 49 percent in several swing states. Why did he win the presidency? Because of the Jill Stein third party torpedo that hit Hillary Clinton and enabled him to 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 win the presidency. It looks as if. Whether it's Cornell West, whether it's RFK Jr., whether it's um, uh, no labels, that that could possibly be, um, you know, another setup. Or, candidly speaking, even in a head-to-head, it looks as if the progressive left in places like Michigan, you know, uh, might be enough where you yep. could swing the vote here. RFK Jr., um, you know, is a very weird candidate. Let's just be clear. There's much more enthusiasm for people but, that know but it RFK doesn't, it Jr. Doesn't, it, it doesn't take much. You mentioned Jill Stott. It doesn't take much to affect Precisely. these, you know, if you know, a couple points here, a couple points here can change the outcome. Look at Ross Perot and uh, Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton. Uh, precisely. It does not look like he will win any state, um, but you don't know how he's going to crumble. The more people that know about him are the ones that are excited by the Steve right. Bannon, by the right wing. He was he was promoted all during the right wing as a, as a, as a torpedo against Biden, and now he's going to run as a third party. So now the right is freaking out, trying to paint him as a liberal. I think most people just know the name Kennedy, and there is some worry that the average voter that may not be keyed in um, might be open um, to just voting for a Kennedy. Um, but then there's also a notion that those that know him, um, you know, the libertarian leaning, um, those that maybe have a lot of grievances with former President Trump for a variety of reasons, certainly COVID being one, um, may draw from him. So it's unclear where he's going to draw and certainly in what state. But yes, you're trying to map out you know, what does a 47, 47, and then you get a third party, um, you know, uh, a candidate across all these swing states. How does this look? Um, odds are it does not look good for President Biden, but you never know what's going to happen. Well, good stuff. Any other buzz we're missing in D.C., Matthew? I mean, happy to say no. It is a crazy time in a crazy town. Um, you know, what a year. We've been taking out speakers, and, and now we got impeachment on the table. Um, I do think it is remarkable, as somebody who spent a majority of my time in New Hampshire, on the campaign trail with every single Republican candidate, you know what I never heard? Impeach Mayorkas. You know what I never heard? It's time to impeach Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, it, it is the talk of this town, yet it never really fully translated, in my opinion, to the campaign trail. Great stuff, Matthew Bartlett, Darby Field Advisors, on this Tuesday. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Jack.